Welcome, Church of the Geek listeners. This is Brian Bennett, uh, joining today again uh, with Sam as our usual co-host. And also today we have a friend of uh, mine from uh, our local comic book store, uh, Wayne Wise, uh, uh, has some conversation about Stan Lee, his legacy, and uh, his stuff. So, uh, gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Good evening. Nice to have you on. Yeah, it's really great to have you, Wayne. It's it's uh, it's nice to have um, basically the same conversation we have uh, <laughs> every couple of days, uh, but here on this. So um, you want to you want to talk a little bit about yourself, Wayne, because so folks know uh, who you are. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's see. Background. I've I've been involved in the comic book world pretty much my whole life. I, I learned to read from comics. I, I bring that up because. Like this isn't a new thing to me. Um, I work at Phantom of the Attic Comics in Oakland in in Pittsburgh. Uh, I've been there for going on 22 years now. I'm the new guy uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of full time employees. That's true. Uh, so I've been in comics retail for a, a long time. Uh, over the years, I've written comics, I've drawn comics, I have a couple professional credits to my my name. Back in the nineties, I did some inking for Malibu Graphics. Uh, I've self-published a comic. I've been working on some projects here in town recently. Um, and I've sort of fallen into comics academia through some back doors. I, I was on the board of the Pittsburgh Museum, uh, which still exists. It's in a restructuring phase right now, so it's not real public at the moment. And I've taught classes on comics history and, and the graphic novel at both Chatham University and this past fall, the University of Pittsburgh. So, so I've I've done some comic stuff. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, Sam, how are you doing this t- uh, this evening? I'm doing okay. I'm kind of nursing half of a bad throat, and I'm nursing nursing the other half of a bad computer as my uh, <laughs> hard drive has failed me. But um, so we're going to be backing up for the past next few hours. So, <laughs> okay. but everything's still on there. At least it's just it's. Like the that that drive that you keep all your files on that I keep separate from my operating system. So for just for just mm-hmm. such occasions. Yes. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, but, Understood. but when you get that message that you have twenty eight thousand errors, it's like, okay, the hard drive's going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Only twenty eight thousand. Only twenty eight thousand. And they were all the same one too. We- so that was- <laughs> <laughs> oh. You have a bad sector. 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 So yeah, that's not good. Nope. But anyway, well, but all how is well and good. Total sectors are there? Lots. <laughs> Twenty-eight thousand. What percentage of them are <laughs> bad? Yeah. No, as I said, um, Wayne is my is my. Uh, I'm your dealer. <laughs> your yeah, dealer, yes. My dealer. <laughs> he is my dealer. Yeah. Today was one of those days. Um, <laughs> But it was uh, Wayne. It just I enjoy the conversation so much to go in and yeah, me too. And you're like, yeah, but really, da 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 da. da. <laughs> the, sort of the breadth of of uh, comics history you have. Yeah, this is going to be cool because we've been you know kind of thinking about Stan for the past few months since his passing, and then really kind of triggered again with the uh, Into the Spider Verse film, which we kind of just touched on ever so briefly on the uh the last the last podcast or like the the year in review podcast so um i i have still not seen that oh, nothing but good things it's, about it. it's just, a lot of fun life has been full enough that i just i haven't made it we'll hit yeah. pause well, and you go see it, it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right go see it now no it's uh, partly it's because the reason the um his cameo in this one mm-hmm. one it's longer than typical and it's it brought out the it, a little bit of the uh, liquid awesomeness from my eyes mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah well I, i'm sure right now and i i'm not worried about spoilers but i i'm sure right now given that he just died and this is the first cameo since it's going to have an emotional impact that some of the others did yeah well it but it's also the see i don't want to i don't want to spoil this yeah. act for you or for anyone but the yeah. way that his cameo comes up it's just extra. It has it has a little extra punch to it. Okay. So the way you know the <clears throat> the year ended last year, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. We thought, all right, we'll just start out this year. That's this is one of our things because um, it's really kind of hard to his legacy and the, particularly the way he does it. I think has some stuff for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. 
But it was, and it was your article for Medium that I shared uh, with our listeners. Uh, Legacy. Legacy.com. Yeah. Oh, it was Legacy. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It was it was a one word, right? I knew that. <laughs> right, Medium. right. Medium. No, Legacy. Uh, Legacy.com. <laughs> but that, that article is on our uh, our Facebook page. Okay. Thank you. No, it was really interesting. And because in, you've you had a chance, you've had a chance to talk to him and had met him a couple, a couple times, right? Mm-hmm. I thought um, maybe we could start and think back to before Stanley. I just sort of set the stage for what things looked like before. You know, the thing is, it's it's funny in terms of Stan Lee's working in the comics industry. There's very little before Stan Lee. Mm. Uh, his Marvel Comics, the the publishing company that the start of the comics was around in the it was a publishing company in in the 1930s, and it was run by Martin Goodman, who was Stan Lee's uncle. And they were publishing different magazines. And when comics became a thing, Martin Goodman jumped onto the bandwagon of doing comics. And Stan started working in the Marvel offices. At that time, it was Timely Comics. Uh, he started working in the, those offices when he was 16 years old, I believe. And he started out as kind of an intern and go fetch yeah, me some yeah. coffee and, and that sort of thing. But he very quickly started writing stories, um, not just comics, but comics at that time. There was some rule in terms of how much it cost to mail things that – if there was a text piece in it, you got cheaper mail rates. So most comics in the forties would have a two page text piece. <laughs> Stan, Stan, yeah. So Stan started writing those for comics. Um, so, I mean, one of the, the examples of that, I don't think this is his first story, but in Captain America, which was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, Stan wrote a, a two page prose Captain America story. And apparently that's the first place that Captain America ever threw his mighty shield. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, so Stan was in the, the industry for a long, long time. You tend to think of the beginning of the Marvel age, you know, fantastic four in 1961, but Stan had been working in the trenches as a writer, office boy, whatever for you know, 15, you know, sure. over 15 mm-hmm. years at that point in the late, 50, and feel free to interrupt me because I get on a roll. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm used to lecturing at, at Pitt and just talking with students who won't respond to me. So feel free to jump in and throw questions. I guess, I guess here's this is the right. So, okay, he was in there a long time, but I guess yeah, what we have heard time and again that what Stan brought was right, sort of the, the human character, the, the mm-hmm. human yeah. superhero, right? the one who, who had flaws and stuff, right? So I was thinking more in terms of the content of the comics yeah. before he really gets his fingers into that. We, yeah. And that's with, and that really started with the, the Marvel stuff in the, the early sixties, fantastic Four, 1961, August of 61 is really the first book that, that did that. Uh, Stan had been writing. I mean, there was the Senate subcommittee hearings in 1954 and the introduction to the comics code, which limited content. But before that, you know, characters were kind of interchangeable. Every superhero had essentially the same personality. There wasn't a whole lot in the way of character development. Uh They were were all good guys. And Stan was getting burnt out with it. And and he's, you know, it's the late 50s. He's writing science fiction stories and giant monster stories. And he's just not engaged. Uh, In different interviews with him, I saw, you know, Comics were thought of as as crap. You know, they had taken such a beating in the press at that point. When people asked him what he did for a living, he he would tell them he wrote children's books because he right. didn't want to be associated with comics. Um, and he was getting really burnt out with it. DC started having some success with superheroes again. Superheroes had essentially died after World War II. There were a few, hmm. but Super, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman are the only three superheroes that main publication consistently throughout that entire time period. Superheroes as a genre was nearly gone in the 1950s. Mm. DC experimented with bringing them back with uh, Silver Age Flash, Silver Age Green Lantern, Justice League, starting having some success. And Stan decided to try it again at Marvel. But he was sort of on the verge of giving up the industry. And I say this is through my reading, and I'm sure there are different accounts of this sort of thing. But my understanding is he was just burnt out. He was on the verge of giving up on the industry and just like, you know, if I can't write something that means something to me, I'm just going to quit. So he started creating these characters, fantastic forward being the first ones where he started bringing in that, 
more human element that these were characters with flaws they were heroes but they they had they had flaws they fought amongst themselves uh you know Bing Grimm as the 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 monstrous character who became a hero and you know, read as the distracted scientist and then you know that expanded into i mean the hulk who's just anger personified and you know, spider-man who's a 16 year old kid who's trying to you make a living and take care of his sick aunt and and right. it just he, he really brought that element of these are human characters we can relate to in a way that no one had done before that. And it was pretty much immediately successful. I mean, it's, they started selling very quickly. The, the, the Marvel, Marvel as a company expanded uh, their, the, the number of characters, the, the books they had. Um, so, yeah, it, it worked. I've said in, in uh, earlier episodes before Sam was on here that I, I've always said I hate Superman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because he's, he's always perfect. Right. There's no, mm-hmm. there's never any, I mean, you have to create a, a crisis in who is, who is Superman going to save Lois Lane or the bus full of kids uh, flying off the cliff. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are the, that, that's the only way to get anything interesting in Superman, I swear. So, um, which, okay, I will give that to you. How do you, how do you decide on in those sort of personal crisis of conscience? But the other stuff is, you know, really changes things. I think in, in the terms of stories you can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it changes too. That's one of the things I kind of read and kind of reaffirmed, you know, when some of this stuff I read about Stan Lee kind of getting started, you know, when exactly what we were talking about with, uh, you know, comparing DC and the heroes in DC who emphasize the super part of the superhero equation and Marvel, which emphasize the human part of the super human equation, um, you know, and the heroes like Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman were sort of not people that you could relate to in any way. They were they were more characters that were more like a wish fulfillment character. Whereas, um, you know, the Marvel characters, like you know, like we're talking about with Spider Man, you know, every teenager could relate to Spider Man <laughs> very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and and to say at the outset of this because this is something I assume we'll get into when when I'm saying Stan Lee created these characters, he was certainly a driving force. But you know, part of the controversy is with him has been mm-hmm. who created what, and so just at at the outset, and I, I I believe Stan deserves a tremendous amount of credit. I'm not one of those people who who dismisses everything he did, and those people are out there. But you know, he was working with you know, specifically Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. There were others. But you know, with the artist he was working with, their their contribution can't be overlooked. And at the time, they probably didn't get as much credit as they they should have. But that's this is a bigger conversation. I'm sure we will get into as time mm-hmm. moves on here. But I just yeah. want to acknowledge them at the outset, so it doesn't sound like uh, I'm ignoring. Right, their right. No, when you say their contribution, you you don't just mean in terms of of the, the art side of things. Do you mean in terms of content no. of story and no. and and all? Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's some background of that as well. It's in, in the early sixties, late fifties, Marvel comics was, was very small. Comics had, had diminished quite a bit. Marvel comics were actually being distributed by DC comics. That, that was the distribution network they had to go through. And as a result, DC told them how many books they were allowed to publish per month. And it was eight. So they published 16 titles by monthly. So eight books a month. And Stan was writing Almost all of them. Because <laughs> <laughs> at that time, he was the only official employee of Marvel Comics. He and uh, Flo Steinberg. Flo was the receptionist secretary. Everything that Stan didn't do, Flo did. Um, but they were the only two employees of Marvel Comics. And and I, I think that's important to point out is Stan has always been an employee of Marvel Comics. He never mm-hmm. owned it. Right. It, it, it wasn't his. Stan doesn't own any of those characters either. You know, all those characters that he created or co-created, Stan never saw residuals. He never got royalties from any of that stuff. He made other deals with Marvel as Stan Lee and continued to get paid. But Stan never saw royalty checks from any of those characters any more than any other creator did. So Stan brought all these freelancers in. Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, etc. were freelancers working for him. And Stan brought them in and gave them the work. Because he was writing essentially eight books a month, he developed a, a method that we refer to in the industry as the Marvel method of writing. There's the DC method was full scripts, page one, panel one. Superman is flying over Metropolis. We see you know, the the globe on the top of the Daily 
planet in the background. And then you have dialogue. It's you know, much like a movie script. It's full script. A writer writes that, gives it to the artist to draw the pages. Just to save time, Stan wrote essentially a plot synopsis and would give that to the artist. The artist would then lay out the story based on that synopsis. When Stan got the pages back, he would dialogue it after. So that was more of a collaborative effort between Stan and the artist. The artist had a lot of leeway to interpret what Stan intended in these plots. So there would be some of Stan's plots would be, you know, for Spider-Man, Spider-Man and Green Goblin fight for four pages. (laughs) (laughs) And then he would go back and dialogue that after Ditko drew four pages of fight scenes. So if you, if you look at the original arts, what has survived, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's notes in the margins that Stan would, would make in the margins of changes he wanted. But there's also a tremendous amount of notes from the artist where they would suggest dialogue. They would make changes to the plot he gave them. So they were collaborating. The nature of the business then, they weren't credited for that nor paid for that. Right. Based on their contracts. You know, like Jack Kirby was listed as penciler. He was co-creating and collaborating on story a lot. He wasn't credited for it or paid for it. And I, I guess you, know, my big point with that is that's not entirely Stan's fault. That was the nature of the business. That decision was made by Martin Goodman, um, who, from what I understand, was a bit of a slave driver with his artists. Like if you work for Marvel, he didn't want you to work for anybody else. Even though you were a freelancer, if he saw your art anywhere else, mm-hmm. he would stop giving you work. So that's just the way the business was done then for the first 20 years of the business. There are, there are hundreds of stories out there. We have no idea who wrote or drew them because no one got credit. Um, so Stan actually was giving credits to the writers and or the letterers and the colorists and whatever in ways that had never been done before. The argument, argument can certainly be made that he could have stood up for them and tried to do something different more than he actually did. But it's sort of a, a – it was a – industry-wide problem it's just it's more egregious when it's characters like spider-man or the fantastic four or whoever right. and you know, same thing you know, Siegel and schuster with superman they you know they they were actually fairly well paid for young men in the late 1930s early 1940s based on the page rate they got compared to what superman was earning for dc they were terribly <laughs> ripped off right as was everybody else in yeah. the industry at that time but I, I, I went, there's a you know, website where you can determine how much money something you know, like value of money in 1938, right? In what it is in yeah, yeah. And I, I did some of that recently. This is going a little off topic, but I, I find this fascinating. Um, Siegel and Schuster sold the rights to Superman for 120 dollars, 10 dollars a page. It was 12, 12 page story. Um, that comes out to about 170 dollars a page in today's money. Mm. So well over $3,000 for a 12-page story. Anybody working in comics today would have taken that deal. Yeah. Because because people aren't getting paid that much at Marvel now. Um, and I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. perspective. Definitely. Um, and and you still don't own the rights for things if you're working for Marvel or DC. Yeah. But they were horribly ripped off. You know, it's not to excuse what happened. It's just that's that's the nature of the industry for everybody into it. And I just went on a <laughs> so please bring me back. <laughs> you did, but you know, I think it's partly it does show why I think he was he was not just a good creator. But I think in the whole midst of stuff he is a he understood how to sort of play the game. Yes. I, I doubt Steve Ditko was upset that he got credit on the paper, right? People could begin to yeah. say, oh, Steve Ditko wrote that or drew that. Yeah. yeah. That's that's fantastic, right? I mean, that changes things. That does begin to mm-hmm. – did, did he do everything he could? No, probably not. But right, it was a big, en- it, it was he, a big enough sea change that it could um, – Yeah. No one called Jack King Kirby until Stan Lee did. Yeah, and and, right. and he did that in in the letters pages at Marvel. You know, just his his editorial voice in the letters pages. Just having letters pages, interacting with the fandom. Yeah. No one had done that before. So he created this fan base. Like, when, you know, if you read Marvel, you were part of the family. You know, you, you yeah. were part of this exclusive club, and and you know, you were a true Johnny believer. And, and, you, right, right. What was it? Foom? So, was that it, the it name was, of it? Was, it? Yeah, yeah, friends exactly. of all Marvel. I, I was a I was a member in the seventies. Uh, in the sixties, it was the Mighty Marvel Marching Society, uh, 
And so, yeah, but he did. He created, he made comics cool for people. It made you feel part of this community. And, and he built, you know, he created the characters of Spider-Man and, and or co-created them or whatever, but he also created the character of Stan the Man Lee and mm-hmm. the character of Jack King Kirby. And so he, he turned these unknown anonymous artists into personalities, which built a following for them and their art in ways that just really hadn't happened in comics prior to the 1960s either. So, so he created a lot of what we think of as comic book culture. Right. Um, or at least set it in motion, you know, right. Like, like everything else, comic book culture is co-created by everybody involved in it. But he set a lot of it in motion in, in ways that just hadn't been there prior to that. Yeah. I think that's just kind of what I was getting at in that. How, how does he change things? Not just how he did it, but sets everything in motion, kicks everything off in the industry itself. But now there's characters, right? That, that, that human sort of flawed character. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I was just going to say, you know, the, the, the collaborative thing, there was, there was definitely a magic that, that happened between he and Kirby and he and Ditko. Just mm-hmm. the, the, the concepts and the ideas that came out, I mean, like, you know, 61 to 65, just how prolific all of them were at that time. Just, there was just this explosion of ideas and concepts coming from all of them. And, and, and I think very specifically coming from, whatever magic that is when two creative people get together and it works, you know, like we, we, we have the Beatles in 1964, we have Stan and Jack in 1964 and it's happening because of that mesh of personalities and, and creative talent in ways that it didn't happen with them with other people. Right. Yeah. Without that, Stan couldn't have written. Here's, here's the, here's what I wanted to sort of go toward. You draw it now, then I'll go back and put mm-hmm. stuff in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he has to he has to trust Kirby and Ditko immensely to be able yeah. to say, okay, this is what I want to happen. You make it, you show me what it looks like, and then we will go back and forth. That that's a huge that's a huge mm-hmm. synthesis going on there. Yeah, and and just the the amount of stuff they were putting out. I mean, this was also it is a business. It, it it's they were making a living at this. This is how they were paying their rent the amount of work that they were all churning out at that point. I mean, the quality of it, given how much they were doing, there were times Jack Kirby was drawing four huh. books a month. That, that's crazy. <laughs> that, that's crazy. Um, and say Stan at one point was writing eight books a month. Um, you know, that so much is, so much is lost. I mean, people ask about, you know, why don't you remember this or, or there's no notes or anything. They were just, you know, seat of their pants day by day to pay the rent mm-hmm. for years. I, I can't imagine writing eight books a month. Yeah, exactly. Just and and you know, some of it. If you go back and read that stuff, there's a repetition. You kind of the, yeah. the official policy at both Marvel and DC at that time, probably all comics companies at that time, is our audience is eight to twelve year old boys, and when they turn thirteen, they discover girls in cars and stop reading comics. So we've got them for like two years, and and they really believe that there was a complete turnover of their audience every two years. So you could tell that Green Goblin story again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they were wrong. I'm still here. <laughs> but but that was the theory, at least. But I'm sure that and that definitely messed with some of the timelines and stuff, too. It's like <laughs> going back and, you know, looking at, um, well, didn't they do that already or was it? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that 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 whole thing of you know, that Marvel universe, that idea of it being a universe, that that was something new as well. Like, yeah, the DC characters all were in the same universe, but pretty much from issue to issue of anything, there was no sense of real continuity. Right. Yeah, the Justice Society were in the 1940s. They had a team book, but it never addressed what they were doing in their own uh-huh. books. Uh, Justice League was like that when it first started. Like it was completely separate. Uh, World's Finest was a Superman Batman book, and for most of its run in the early days, there was a Superman story and a Batman story. They were together on the cover, not really in uh-huh. the book. Where, and part of that was you had so many people writing this stuff, they didn't give any thought to how it all fit together, and it didn't matter. With Stan writing everything, hey, I'm going to have Daredevil guest star because I can because I'm writing both uh-huh. books. Yeah. So he's just started building this universe because he was writing all the pieces of it. And also you know, the marketing, it was cross promotion. Editor's note. Hey, if you want to know what Spider-Man was doing between these two panels, check out Avengers number 14. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I saw, yep. <laughs> so, so, so it was cross promotion as well. You know, he was very smart. And if, 
you know, if, if they're reading this one book, how can I get them to go read the other book too? I was just thinking about it might be might be a good time to uh, kind of flip to um, maybe kind of his his faith background, religious background, and how that kind of came into his worldview, and how his worldview came out in into his his uh, into his comics and his his creativity. Now he was. Um, I was just in the research I did. He was uh, the son of um, Romanian and Jewish yep, immigrants, Stanley right? Lieber. Lieber. Okay. Yep. And Jack Kirby was Yakov Kurtzberg. So. Right. Okay. So they were they were yeah. both. <laughs> yeah. Most most of the creators in the er- earliest run of of comics in the late thirties, nineteen forties were Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a hundred percent, but yeah. Well, Superman. Uh, Clearly, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Well, some of that just the, the, most of the publishing industry in New York at that point was they they were Jewish companies. Um, the DC Comics National Publications had been founded by Harry Donenfeld and Jack Leibowitz and Max Gaines, Max Ginsburg. Um, so yeah, so that that was just that was part of Judaism was a tremendous influencing force on pretty much all early comics mm-hmm. in in some ways. It, it was coded in. Uh, they weren't overtly writing Jewish stories, right? But, but but that culture influence is certainly there. Maybe can you say a little bit about how you know, from your perspective, maybe how did that influence his worldview and his his writing and so on? Yeah, I, that that's a good question. I, like, I I'm doing comics work with the Holocaust Center here in Pittsburgh now, so I, I've been. I'm not Jewish, so I, I can't speak specifically to to the religious mm-hmm. culture or whatever. Um, I don't know, but there there was a consistent, and I say this in in the article I wrote for Legacy. There was just a really consistent consistent liberal humanism to Stanley mm-hmm. in in the way he presented his stories. There there was, you know, the he was on the side of the little guy and the downtrodden, and and that idea of you know the the whole the cliche of you know with great power comes great responsibility. I think that came straight from him and his experiences, that idea of people in power have responsibility to help others. Um, and, and not just people in power. We all have a responsibility to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, and I think that kind of, you know, what you just said in terms of that, we have to take care of each other just really comes out in his, in his work um, and kind of that, you know, fills in a lot with, uh, with Spider-Man and so on. I think in that perspective, to take to take that you know take the idea of that we in some way have to you know we have to watch out for each other because there may not be some big spirit in the sky that's going to watch out for you you know that the heroes among us who are as flawed as they may be are the ones who are go- who are going to be watching out for us and and protecting us and so on yeah and it's not the the, the Superman character who is a very godlike character who watches out for everybody all the time, you know, and you can always count on mm-hmm. Superman. He's going to say, you know, he's going to save us and, you know, you don't even need to worry about it, but you know, that kind of, you know, thinking back, you know, when you mentioned the fantastic four and, you know, the, the, the arc with um, Galactus, you know, this, you know, cosmic being now shows up on the scene mm-hmm. intent on destroying the earth. And it's not just, you know, this alien species or something like that, this alien, it's this, you know, cosmic being that is now on the stage and it's up to not another cosmic being, but it's up to humans to figure out a way to get us out of this mess. Mm-hmm. And, and that idea and you know, Kirby followed that more than Stan did. You, if you follow Kirby after he left Marvel with the new guys right. and when he came back to Marvel with the Eternals, that cosmic scale and the whole you know, space gods and whatever was just so much his world mm-hmm. it, 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 part of his world and him playing with those ideas just sort of these really grand mythic ideas but still you know through the eyes of, of you know, humanizing these characters in some way um controversial among jack kirby fans I, I for all of his great concepts and designs or whatnot i think i don't think he was as good at humanizing his characters as stan was mm. Uh, if you read New Gods, you know, there's there's brilliant concepts in there, but they just the the characters are a bit more distant and, and not hard to relate to. Quite, yeah, harder to relate to. Yeah, I I was struck by the um, when when he died. One of the things that got shared a ton was his uh, his Stan soapbox from 1968. 
about racism, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And the, the part that gets me, right? I mean, much of what he, he does, right, is talking about, uh, well, I have it in front of me, and it's like bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today, right? And he says superheroes aren't really the solution, right? Because you can't, the costume punch in the face doesn't really work for this, right? But it's the end. If we want to talk about sort of religious, this is the, this is the place that I think um, gets where I've seen the most obvious mention of God, right? Because sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits, he writes. No, sooner or later, if man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then and only then will we be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who calls us all, capitalized, his children. Pax et justitia, Stan. Peace and justice, Stan. That's that's the place for me that that continues yeah. to, um, and that that's probably the clearest statement of his intent he ever made. Right in 1968, yeah. that was a that, that was a definitely a right a right and, time. Yeah, that that, that was a radical of. statement to make in a children's comic in 1968. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and 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 in the work, I mean, as you were talking about that, the yeah. the different races and whatnot in. Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, a non-superhero book. It's set during World War II. In 1963, that was their attempt at, at multiculturalism. They had a black man in the cast, Gabe Jones, um, serving with white soldiers. So it's ahistorical. That couldn't have happened. But he and Jack overtly wrote a black man into that cast. Um, and they didn't bother to tell the colorist who mistakenly colored him as a white man in the first <laughs> issue because – yeah, um, because what? Nobody thought of that. Uh, Izzy Cohen is that book, is in that book, the first overtly Jewish character to appear in comics. Stan is on record as saying, this is never mentioned in the books, but the character of Percival Pinkerton was intended to be gay. Mm. This, is 1960, this is 1963, and he has a book with a Jew, a black man, and a gay man. Which at the time would have been the beginning of a joke. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, and and – and and you and they were they were subtle about these things. Well, the black man wasn't so subtle, but the thing is, any of those characters were treated. They were all members of the team. Mm-hmm. They, they they were all treated as equal members of the team. There was no question about any of that stuff. Yeah, you know, money where your mouth is. He he believed those things, and he put it in his work as well. But yeah, that you're you're absolutely right, Brian. That that yeah. Stan Stan soapbox you just read that that's probably in all of his work the the clearest statement of purpose. I think you can probably make um, sort of inferences from his use of Excelsior. Yeah, yeah. That in in a similar vein, right? But this one, the whole notion created in God's image, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a God who calls us all his children, right? And again, sixty-eight. The language, of course, is very man-centric. Yeah, you're going to have that, you know. Period and all, right? But he probably would write it very differently today. But um, still. That's clear, unequivocal. Yeah, there's yeah, some I, yeah, I right. some influence there. One of the interesting uh, articles I read. This one is on um, is the Media Project. Um, talked about. Um, I think it was this one. I'm trying to. I, I read a couple of them. I was trying to keep them straight in my head, but talked about how uh, Stan saw because he saw um, humans as flawed flawed beings but capable of doing you know wonderful things he in in this sort of in this in the same way you know he wasn't he was never open about his faith or talking about god but you know in the same way he saw um god in the same way that you know there was you know if um i'm trying to remember oh there was yeah actually one of the things i'm just kind of i pulled it back up so i could uh say it uh was that stan loved to quote omar Khayyam's uh line did the hand then of the potter shake uh and said to stan it meant that just as the hand of of a potter could make an imperfect jug because the potter is flawed so too is god flawed in his creation of an imperfect man and that you know that in some way you know stands some in some way believed in god but you know thought that that god was far from perfect and that was reflected in in humanity um, which is an interesting, but I think probably still a very common question that comes, you know, or it's, it's a problem that comes up, you know, that mm-hmm. with 
many people of faith and people without faith. Whereas if God is perfect, um, why is any Superman basically? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Well, and I and I don't want to. This is mm-hmm. just my sense, but coming from a from a Jewish background uh, that, that he had, you know, that's not that's not necessarily blasphemous, right? Right. The, yeah. You know, the the ability to ask questions and what does this mean? I mean, goes back thousands of years with rabbis uh, asking questions. What is this about? And and nothing is off limits, right? If everything from the very mundane questions of daily life mm-hmm. to larger philosophical questions to ask that kind of question from a Jewish perspective, at least to me, um, makes sense from the very little bit. Right. I, I mean, I think that there's, and I'm, I'm trying to pull back too. I, I think there's the sense of, there's one sense that God is perfect and that God doesn't lack anything. And there's the sense of God being perfect in that he can do no wrong or God can do no wrong. And I, it's probably you know, more the sense that maybe Stan had the sense that God didn't lack anything, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God is perfect, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And if the way, the way that we think yeah, about it, and yeah. that's, and that's brings up so much in terms of, you know, why we struggle with evil, because we can't imagine a perfectly good omnipotent being allowing evil, evil in the world. Right. It's a- to bring it back to comics, yeah, uh, yeah, and, sure, and, yeah, <laughs> thanks, no, and, and, it well, and yeah, well, no, and and back to comics, but the same topic. Uh, Will Eisner, uh, you know, who another you know, one of the yes. most influential creators in comics, who worked in the late '30s, early '40s. Um, Jack Kirby worked in his studio at one point. Uh, Eisner put out a graphic novel in 1977-78 called "A Contract with God," right? Essentially, four yeah. short stories. Uh, and it's it's technically it's the first book that was ever officially called a graphic novel, and that was for marketing reasons, in ways different than we think of it today in terms of content. But the first story in the collection is the story of contract with God, and in it the main character, you know, when he's young, he, he is he he is saved. I, I'm blanking on specific details mm-hmm. right now, but. He, he writes a contract with God on a stone and, and you know, he, he would live a, a righteous life in, in, to repay God. And he has a daughter who dies. And there's just this wonderfully emotional, intense scene of this rabbi yelling at God, you broke our contract. So that thing you're talking about of you know, Jewish people questioning God, you know, this sort of thing, it's just there in black and white in incredibly expressive drawing. Right. Right. In contract with God, uh, just really overtly. And, and I, I, you know, so yeah, it, it's certainly part of that culture and, and part, and I don't think it's just that culture. I, I think, as you say, people of faith, people without faith, you know, there's that questioning of, of God that takes place in our private moments, if nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just typically Christianity has, there is, and there is certainly um, traditions within Christianity that that is unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, even to ask the question or to say something along the lines of God's hand shook. Yeah. And, right. Like, like that would be incomprehensible in some circles or, or blasphemous mm-hmm. even. So it's that sense um, that I, that I say that yeah. um, many of us are, are willing to do that, but, but yeah, but you're right. Uh, the Jewish tradition has had a much, much longer uh, time to do that. They are willing to mm-hmm. live in some of that ambiguity far more comfortably um, yeah. than, uh, than others. Mm-hmm. And and just to bring some resonance to that story, uh, Eisner had lost a daughter right before writing and drawing that. So he was he was working some personal stuff out. Absolutely. But, well, it, often we, we, we say uh, that we preachers preach what we need to hear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Sam, you shared a, at least with me, you shared not the article you were just talking about, but one from Pathios. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, about what the what Christianity uh, Christians could learn from uh, from Stan yeah right. Oh, is that is that linked on your page? I'd like to see that. I think we'll we'll make sure it's on the the page and maybe with the show notes too. I don't know if we can okay. throw that in there, but yeah, yeah. it was real. It was it was interesting, and uh, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, we'll throw a link up and read it. But one of the things I think that that hit home was precisely that um, in, in, in Christian circles, we, we don't 
do well with um, the, the the parts of ourselves that we don't like. Um, that all kind of gets put aside or washed away or put on, you know, those things don't, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you're a good Christian with proper faith, then you're not going to be depressed and you're going to have a wonderful life and you're going to have, you know, no, no problems in your life. And if you have a problem in your life, it's probably due to some kind of, you know, moral failing or faith failing or, you know, something like that. Whereas, um, kind of what they pointed out in this article was that, you know, one of the things that, you know, Stan Lee and you know, his co-creators can point out to us is that, you know, being, being flawed is not, is not necessarily a, a problem. It's something that can turn you towards greater things and that you can still be in some ways heroic as well as being flawed not not in spite of your flaws the the very things that can you know in some cases that you can want to push aside or push under you know your insecurities um they kind of i think they they pointed out peter parker and you know this you know the the teenager who's kind of would otherwise be be afraid of everything and scared to talk to girls and getting pushed around in school and so on you know those things make him empathetic and mm-hmm. the pain that he's got, you know, that he went through pushes him to do, you know, better things. And that's something that rather than run from, we can integrate that part in, into our lives. And I, I like that idea that it's not in spite of the flaws, that, that they are an integral, integral part of who you are. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to quote Leonard Cohen, although I think he lifted this from another source. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Right. Yeah. Actually, I don't know that that was the one that I was thinking of. The, okay. Well, that was the one I was thinking of. <laughs> no, I think that's. I think that's helpful. Yeah. You you, you read a you read a ton uh, before this, so no, this one was um, more about his uh, the writing of his characters. Yeah. No, I I mentioned that before that you know that DC emphasized the the super and. Stan emphasize the human. Right. And the interesting part I thought in this one was the, the author's name is Paul, uh, A-S-A-Y, essay, um, wrote about and linked it to the eighth commandment about not bearing false witness. Right? Oh yeah, that's like, right. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that. Like this is Stan telling the truth from my tradition. Really, Martin Luther talks about the, uh, the theologian of the cross calls the thing what it is the theologian of glory, the theologian of glory calls the thing what it's not um they, the whole point i think for stan even though he's talking about completely supernatural beings right these these incredible characters he still wants to tell the truth about not just about them but about the world the human experience mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. right we want to be able to relate to them right and if we can relate to them, it's the it's the again. There's another another quote about uh, at the end of uh, Spider Verse about us all being the hero. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't remain in that realm up there away from us. Those things exist for us to have that ability here and now. And that's that's something um, something too that I was thinking about was that in the same way that um, you know that DC kind of emphasized the super. Um, I think our our churches and congregations sometimes, you know, with with Christ can emphasize the super, perhaps at the ex- expense of the human, and the, for the and then the exact same thing thing happens where you have a Messiah who you can't relate to at all and yeah. is distant, and I think that's why you know in so many in in some cases you know it's that's why you talk about other things. <laughs> You know, you, you, you relate to saints, you relate to authors, <laughs> you know, you, you can relate to, uh, Tim Keller, but you know, can't relate to, uh, you, you know, Jesus is not too, you know, I don't know what Jesus would do. No. no and you know, in a couple months here, we're going to hit Lent and the first Sunday of Lent, we always get the temptation of Jesus. It has been a consistent theme in my preaching as, as Lent approaches that if Jesus overcomes the temptations by virtue of his divinity, we are screwed. I think, I think 
this is a picture of, of um, the human Jesus mm-hmm. in his temptations. And um, folks can argue with me about that, but it, to me, that's the, kind of the only way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe one of my sermons about that literally was a, a comparison, uh, a contrast and, and comparison of Superman and Batman, where I lost all the old ladies in <laughs> in the church for the first third of the sermon. And they brought it back around and they got the last sort of half of it. I, I checked it out with the uh, the ladies in the Bible study uh, the following Tuesday. I'm like, hey, help me out here. Did you guys get that? <laughs> oh, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, well, pastor, um, from uh, South Dakota. And she's just like, hmm. Didn't really understand anything about that for a while, but <laughs> then you brought it around, and at the end we're okay. I'm like, okay, very good. It was uh, definitely, uh, you know, I think I think that's the place we get to, we get to live in with Stan's legacy for for the uh, superheroes, right? Even if Reed Richards hits his wife, you know, and <laughs> really sort of, I mean that that is that's pretty that's pretty pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. Well, and book for kids, right, Wayne? Yeah, (laughs) and Tony Stark, the raving alcoholic. Yeah, (laughs) and and that—that's the thing. We had that stuff. You like Stan humanized them, but then as time went on, what can you do to do even more of that? And 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 that leads into the 1980s and the grim and gritty and yeah, Yeah. flawed heroes taken to the extreme. Um, like you can only be so flawed before you become a villain. Uh, yeah, the right. the the anti-hero. Yeah, and so yeah, and 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 the ways they've they've dealt with some of those ideas, which is probably an entirely different show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. In fact, I think that is a good place for us to uh, pause <laughs> and end as we typically do uh, with um, what are you geeking out about right now. Um, Wayne, what we'll offer to you first? Is there something that you have been geeking out about? Uh, uh, something that's caught your interest here recently? Hmm. I, I am so surrounded by this stuff daily that it just it, right. It feels, you know, <laughs> uh, and and it feels like it's been a while since there's been a brand new series that that has really grabbed me. Um, I mean, this week series I've been reading. One of my favorite books of the last couple of uh, years is. Karen Gillan and Jamie McKelvey's Wicked and the Divine. Um, and just we're in the last story arc. There's like three issues left and every issue has just been gah. And I, Wednesday, when I read this week's issue, I just like, oh, oh my God, things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So the, the part of me that is so invested in that story, just every issue that comes out, um, Series I've been reading since 1984, Mage the Hero Discovered. Uh, Matt Wagner did a 15-part story in 1984-85. At the time, he said he envisioned it as three story arcs. He did the second one in 97, and then we've waited 20 years, and he's been working on the last one. There is one issue left. This thing I've been anticipating Mm. since 1984 is going to end in the next two weeks, and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the culmination of a lot of years of expectation. Um, that's like that's like the end of after the, when you've binged a, se- a, a series and there's nothing left. Yeah. And you're like, I, I, what? I, that's like that to like <laughs> the tenth power. Yeah. Like, crap, what right. do I do now? Yeah, like I, I have, I, I've just, I've spent a tremendous amount of my adult life engaged in and invested in this series. Uh, and, right. and you know, big gaps in between. Obviously, there's an entire thirty issues of it prior to the new series, um, but it's it's just one of those favorites that I've been emotionally invested in for a long, long time, and <coughs> and I, I am anxiously awaiting and excited for the end of it, and kind of dreading the end of it. <laughs> All right, Sam, what have you been geeking out? Um, this this kind of just happened yesterday, so um, I. And it's more of an anticipation thing, but one of the there was, and this is kind of going back to um, the the horror you know episode that we did. But um, they remade the movie, old like classic, but never heard of it until until recently. Uh, movie uh, uh, Suspiria. It's a it, Italian horror film that was kind of legendary for its uh 
music and just the visual uh, nature of it, its use of you know color and so on, and the the soundtrack was this uh, really just crazy um, music and so on. Um, but I I heard that they were remaking it, and that my, one of my f- uh, favorite um, musicians, Tom York, was doing the uh, soundtrack to it. I'm like, oh, well, this sounds interesting. So I went back, watched the old movie, which is a hoot. Um, if you ever if you ever get a chance to to watch that, it's it's um, the the plot of it is this uh, American girl goes to a German. I think it's I think it's German. Someone will tell me. If I'm wrong, I'm sure. Uh, but it's a it's a, a ballet company, a ballet school that she all these weird things are happening, and she finds out that it's run by witches. And uh. you know, it's a great story. And so, anyway, they they redid it. Um, it just came out. I just noticed it yesterday on um, a- Amazon. Um, it's not available to to rent yet, but you can uh, buy it. Um, but one of the things that really kind of caught everyone and a lot of people talked about is not only is the soundtrack and the visuals, but that uh, Tilda Swinton plays a number of yeah. characters in it. And people aren't really sure how oh. many characters she plays in it, which is even more fun. <laughs> She's fantastic. She's she fantastic. is fantastic. Yeah, I, I love her. So. So yeah, I went back and watched Constantine just to, because I, I needed to get a Tilda Swinton fix, and before I watched Suspiria, <laughs> the the Wicked and Divine that I mentioned, all the the characters in it are based vaguely based on on rock stars, um, and the the one character, the, the embodiment of Lucifer, Lucy, is David wow. Bowie during his Thin White Duke phase. And uh, there's more than a little Taylor <laughs> Swift. <in there. laughs> yeah, I, I got. I, I will say, uh, Wayne, you, you uh, recommended that uh, Wicked in the Vine, and uh, it is now. It's it, the first volume. It's really remarkable, right? What's the tagline? Was just because yeah, you're I, immortal doesn't mean you live forever. Uh, just a lovely, yeah, lovely thing. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it just just very quickly. It's just the the concept is every ninety years, ancient gods reincarnate in the bodies of young mm. people. Uh, the young people have their own personal memories of who they are. They don't lose any of that, but now they suddenly have the powers and memories of ancient gods, immortal gods. They live for two years with these powers. They burn out and die. Um, and twelve of them reincarnate every time. So there's this tremendous history to it. But as the series progresses, and in in 2014 they incarnate as young rock stars. Um, and as the series progresses, it just gets more and more complex and deeper. And the expectations you have going into it are played with and stood on their heads. And it just it does not go where you expect it to in good ways. Uh, we're in the last story arc now and there's stuff that like, Oh, he's been building to this from the beginning. It's just, it was so well-crafted. You didn't see these twists and turns at all. So yeah, just, I, I, I'm really very engaged in that series. Well, and uh, yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to stomp on your, uh, your geeking out there, Sam. Uh, it's just, yeah. But yeah. And I will only say, um, that since Wayne's on it like today, I picked up um, a copy of, of the graphic novel Blankets by um, Chris uh, Tom- Chris Thompson, Craig Thompson, Craig Thompson, Craig, um, Craig Thompson. That Wayne had recommended to me because weirdly I didn't get anything in my pool list this week. So, um, <laughs> but um, I have just I inhaled at lunch when you came in. Uh, what's that? I must have been at lunch when you came in. No, it was later. It was later. It, oh, oh, maybe. Oh, that's true. Maybe you. Were well, I, we yeah, we do a that's right. Lunch, yeah, you so, do. yeah. But uh, it was um, I literally inhaled the first two uh, sections of uh, of that book. Uh, there's like six or seven, but um, oh, yeah, autobiographical stuff that uh, is really remarkably um, real, despite being a graphic novel, and. Um, yeah. I was struck knowing nice. a little bit of where just some of the stuff because of your recommendation. I, I was the first thing that struck me was his um, his dedication in the beginning uh, with love to my family. 
I'll say it's the beginning. I don't know that I would, most folks would think that that was initially going to be that, <laughs> but so I'll wait and see, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, yeah. uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad the recommendation worked. Well, so far, I mean, I might, yeah. <laughs> I might finish it gonna... and hate you, but <laughs> <laughs> it's all downhill from there. Maybe I, I, re- I got those. Uh, oh, sorry, I was just going to say I got those Black Bolt books on my queue. By the way, Brian, oh, that good, you mentioned, good, yeah. I, I had last uh, our last one was you know, sort of our best of eighteen and what we're looking forward in nineteen, and I, I, I gave an honorable mention to. Uh, that limited series of Black Bolt, those twelve issues, mm-hmm. I, I thought yeah. were, were really were really great. Um, Ward's art and uh, Ahmed's uh, writing, I, I really love that. So, all right, well, thank you, Wayne, very much for yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, excellent to talk with you. Yeah, nice nice meeting you, Sam. <laughs> yeah, finally, <laughs> virtually. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm I'm never down in Oakland, <laughs> but I, I've I've heard wonderful things about your store. So. Uh, and it's probably one of the most well-known stores in the area. So, cool, thank you. And and I and I'll tell you, you walk in, you walk into uh, um, Phantom of the Attic Comics, and if, if Wayne is behind the counter, he will talk to you just like he talked to us here tonight. Um, <laughs> there unless there's go. a line in which you totally understand. yeah, and then I get distracted. You got to get people out. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but uh, yeah, Wayne, thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. This is fun. Uh, I will remind everybody that um, this will go up and uh, uh, here soon. This is uh, in mid January, and uh, we get this up. Um, our and we've been working to alternate. Uh, our regular podcast with our Dungeons and Dragons uh, Holy Crit arc, um, and who knows how long that will go, um, because I don't have any clue anymore. I thought it would be eight <laughs> multiple times. I thought it would be six to eight episodes, and at least what I think I have in the queue so far, we've got four. So, and we are only at the very beginning of the story. So, goodness gracious, what have I done? Um, <laughs> That being said, uh, if you want to uh, uh, connect with us, you can find us on Twitter at uh, at Geek Church, uh, and uh, or I am at uh, Brian underscore O underscore Bennett on Twitter. Um, Sam is at Rev S Blair. Anything you want to plug? Uh, Any ways that you connect with um, people? Oh, oh, we should say you are um, you're the co-host of um, the podcast um, Vox Populum. Yeah, yeah, we um yeah, it's voxpopcast.com. Um I we do I, how do I describe it? It's uh Comics Academia with swearing and beer is how Mav likes to say it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's no, our, fair. Our, yeah, yeah, it is. It's fair. Um it it developed out of conversations at the store. Uh my my friend Mav and I would do this in the store. He's working on his doctorate in pop culture studies at Duquesne. Um it, we both like the idea of comics academia and comics being treated seriously and, and that sort of thing. At the same time, we're both sort of you know, anathema to the dry academics that so many people do. So we want to talk about comics in, in an academic sense, but have a lot more fun with it than that implies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's the, the premise of the podcast. Uh, we've been doing it since about May. So we've, been pretty good at going up weekly yeah you, uh, i was gonna say a, you guys a, are very prolific yeah on, weekly on a, is hard to do yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're lucky we have a couple of, of co-hosts who have joined us uh katya and hannah have become regulars so there have been some episodes i haven't been on there's been some i think only one episode that mav hasn't been on uh so we have two other people who are coming in who bring other points of view and and other topics in than than either one of us would have picked on our own yeah so it's not all comics although there's a lot of that because that's his thing and my thing but uh but talk about a wide range of stuff um, a lot of pop i have a twitter stuff. hand yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i i have a twitter account i really never use it to do anything other than to share the vox podcast <laughs> tweets yeah. i'm really terrible at twitter i have a blog it's wayne-wise.com if anybody wants to read my ramblings on a variety of topics so it's it's been going since like 2011 and i average i think 3000 hits a month i don't know how that happened <laughs> <laughs> if you do it long enough people start to find your stuff just I, you know. yeah yeah I, that's it it just it's out there yeah so 
Well, uh, again, voxpopcast.com um, or voxpopulum on uh, uh, if you want to look for uh, podcasts on wherever yeah. you get your podcasts. It is uh, very interesting. And uh, again, thanks for being uh, here with us, Wayne. Yeah. Sam, as always, I will uh, talk with you again soon. Uh, probably with yes, very much. where we roll dice. And to everyone else listening, geek be with you. And with your spirit.